Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we're talking all about mindfulness. And the more that I dive into my own personal journey and personal development, and the more that I listen to the health gurus who inspire me, the more I'm reminded of how beneficial meditation and mindfulness is for me. So today, we're diving deep into this topic, and you will probably benefit from it just like me, from a personal perspective, but also from the lens of an occupational therapist working with clients. Today, we are talking with Sarah Good. Sarah is an occupational therapist and mindfulness teacher based in Canada. She has been working as an OT for over 18 years. Sarah is passionate about bringing mindfulness to her life, her work, and other occupational therapists. She is the founder of Sarah Good Occupational Therapy, where she enables people living with pain, sleep challenges, and mental health issues to live fuller lives. She also supports OTs who want to weave mindfulness into their OT practice. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much, Rhiannon. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here, Sarah. I'm keen to dive into this topic and soak up all your wisdom and knowledge because as I said, it is something that I'm looking into personally. And I think we all go through this personal development stage, right? Where we, you know, and part of the process is mindfulness, is becoming aware of our actions and our thoughts and our feelings. So I'm really looking forward to um, unpacking this a little bit more. But before we do, like on every episode, we kind of backtrack and I want to jump in that time capsule. And I'd love it if you could take us back to just the beginning, just to give us a bit of history about who you are, how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it would go way back. I worked with, um, I worked at a summer camp with kids with disabilities and that's where I was introduced to the concept of occupational therapy. And uh, so, you know, years later, went on to be an occupational therapist. And my first job was in, uh, was in palliative care. And it was, uh, it was a wonderful job, but quite emotionally and mentally and physically taxing. And as I worked in that job, I started reading some books by, um, by John Kabat-Zinn and sort of got introduced to the concept of mindfulness. And at that time, there weren't a lot of mindfulness courses. Certainly there weren't online programs that I was aware of or that um, I even knew about. Um, and that would have been 2002. And so I got um, some CDs and I would go down to the, uh, there was a, a chapel in our hospital. And so at my lunch break, I would go and, and practice some of the more formal meditations. Um, so for me, that was kind of the start of, of working with people with pain and as well, my own, my own uh, personal practice of mindfulness. And at that point, I certainly wouldn't have shared the mindfulness explicitly with any clients. It was more about keeping my own equanimity and managing you know, my own emotions and energy and having something to really take care of myself. It varied how much time. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes, depending on how long I could get away from the hospital floor for. But, um, but to have that in the middle of the day. So that was kind of my more formal 
practice that I started with. And then you know, I, had, I had kids and got um, a little less uh, consistent in it uh, for sure. And then, um, and then I developed um, a condition and I was at the physiotherapist and she said, you know, have you, I was, it was a pain condition. She said, have you ever thought of trying mindfulness? I thought, well, yeah, I used to do that all the time. I should go back and do that. And at that point, so that I'm, was probably around 2010. At that point, I went and started looking at it again and looked at it a bit as an OT and realized that over the course of that time, just the research and materials and I mean, it all bloomed or blossomed or expanded, <laughs> exploded. So I saw that. So not then I, you know, I, I started really becoming more um, intentional about setting myself time for a mindfulness meditation for some time each day um, for my own health. And then as I started to get more into that myself, I started introducing it to my clients, not in a teaching way, because at that point, um, I would just, um, so by that point, I worked in the, I'd, I'd actually worked in schools and taken some time off the kids. And then I was working in the community at that point with adults. And I started introducing them to it. So not necessarily teaching them, but suggesting books, suggesting um, resources, referring them to a local course. And then I made the jump to my own private practice, um, seven years ago, and at that point decided to train to become a mindfulness meditation teacher at that point. And um, so I trained at the Ottawa Mindfulness Clinic, where then I started teaching a course there for people with pain and really integrating it much more into my client work at that point. I love that. And I find it so interesting that the physio recommended mindfulness. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, in my physio, first she started off with, you know, she'd have the physio exercises and she'd have, she'd have like a, you know, one of the physio papers, they give you a little handout on diaphragmatic breathing. I was like, oh, right, okay. And then it kind of went, <laughs> that's when it kind of came up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just ways cool. to calm the nervous system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we can see how well, you know, that integrates into OT as well. And we can dive into that a bit later. First, I'd like to just set the scene with, mindfulness and what exactly is it because it is a buzzword right now right like so many people are saying mindfulness meditation like being present in the moment but i'd love to get your definition and what you've come to understand as what mindfulness actually is yeah great questions um so taking the first of what i what i decide or I, I use a definition of, of mindfulness for myself and that I share with my clients. So I like to explain that mindfulness has three parts. So intention, attention, and attitude. So the intention is what am I choosing to focus on right now? And the attention is where am I actually focusing? And the attitude is how am I talking to myself or how am I treating myself when those things aren't aligned? So if I'm um, intending to listen to my kid and my mind's wandering, then I want to gently bring myself back without giving myself too hard a time about that. So the intention would be listen to my child. The attention might be on anything, what I need to do later. And then the um, attitude is, okay, come back. This is where I am right now, right? Um, and that's, I find, as I get more insight into other people's, you know, self-talk, I realize a lot of us speak pretty harshly to ourselves when we're, um, 
not focusing on what we think we should be. So that's the attitude part. Mm. So then I would say, because you're right, it is used as a buzzword a lot. And it, um, I think it's helpful sometimes to define it as I, I say that there's big M mindfulness, like capital M, and then lowercase m mindfulness. And in my mind, big M mindfulness would be the formal practices that I do. So if I'm choosing to sit down or uh, lie down um, and do a or walk and do a really a formal practice, that to me is the big M mindfulness. That would be a, me a meditation as well. Whereas the lowercase mindfulness would be, am I able to pay attention to the present moment in my day-to-day -day activities as I'm going about whatever it is I want to do in the day. And that's where it really, I think, ties in well to occupation. Whatever's occupying my time, can my mind be on that? Mm, I love that. And you're so right because at any given moment, you know, our attention is being drawn to other things. And whether that is what we have to do in an 10 minutes time or what our kid's doing or whatever's distracting us over in the corner over there, it can be really hard to zone in and just focus on that occupation that, you know, is in front of us right at that time. And two, you know, the world is so noisy. It's, it's so hard to cut through that noise and just to, um, yeah, and just to focus and bring our awareness and our attention to what it is that we're doing. Um, and I think in order to, develop and to access you know parts of our intuition um, and to experience more joy and connectedness with the moment and with people around us we need to have this level of awareness but it's hard like it's so much easier said than done right like it's so easy to say pay attention to what you're doing but in the moment our minds are always drifting off so it is it is such a a practice that we do need to learn. Mm. Absolutely. And we're set up as humans as threat receptors. Uh, you know, like we're always looking for threats. And I will say this to my clients a lot because the majority of my clients are first responders or, um, or young military veterans, healthcare providers, right? So on top of us just being humans as healthcare providers, we are trained to look for, you know, look for the danger, look for the, dif the, the challenge that might be arising. So we are we are both biologically, you know, ready to, to look for danger and, and as professionals, we're, we're constantly looking out for what might be, you know, might be a challenge. Mm. So yeah, we are, mm. we are bouncing around a lot. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And when you talk about the big M meditation and, oh, sorry, um, mindfulness and the little M mindfulness, I wanted to sort of um, look at that, take a closer look. So meditation and mindfulness too are different things and what i'm hearing you say is with the big m meditation as you describe it uh, sorry mindfulness oh my gosh i'm getting really confused here the big m mindfulness is more like meditation is that formal practice where you're consciously um really focusing on nothing no thing nothing whereas the little m mindfulness is focusing on something which is that something in front of you is that right so yeah good question i'm gonna bring that in a couple ways <laughs> yeah. so first of all i will say that in mindfulness you're never focusing on nothing there's something you're focusing on right so that's the intention so it's never about a mindfulness meditation never about emptying your mind and thinking of nothing 
So if the focus is the breath, then it's about coming back to that. So it's not, then there's going to be something to pay attention to. Um, whether it's the big M, kind of the more formal practice or the less formal. And I guess I'll clarify too, in the because this is a question I get a lot, is what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Yes. Or what's the similarity? Or are they interchangeable? So my meditation is a broad term, and there are a lot of types of meditation. Most religious um, faiths and various traditions have some form of meditation involved in them. And then mindfulness is one, can be one type of that meditation. And it's the type that, that I use myself and I use in my practice, partly because it's um, something that has been well, there's a lot of evidence, it's been well researched in the Western healthcare system, and it is um, a secular interpretation um, of, of that. Now, if I'm working with a client who has a, a, um, a faith background that involves some religion um, with a meditation or prayer practice, then that's what we, you know, that's what they can work into the day. They don't need to learn a new practice necessarily, but they may need to help prioritizing and scheduling that that practice. So that's kind of the meditation part. So there, that would be that when I talked about the big M mindfulness, for lack of a better term there, that would be kind of the mindfulness meditation. Whereas if I am going about doing a client visit or uh, cooking my meal or eating my meal mindfully, that's not a meditation per se in my mind. That's more of um, how I'm approaching it. So that would be I guess another OT way of saying this is mindfulness can be an occupation or it can be a lens through which we see other occupations. So if I am sitting on, I've got my meditation stool and such over here, if I'm pulling my meditation stool out, sitting down, I would say at that moment, my occupation is mindfulness. Whereas if I am approaching the cutting up of vegetables as I create, make dinner and my intention is just to focus on what I'm cooking and not listen to the news and not do other things, I might be approaching cooking dinner mindfully. Yes, thank you for that explanation. And it makes a lot of sense to me now because I didn't realize that there was such thing called mindfulness meditation. I thought there was meditation and mindfulness and they were completely separate and not interchangeable. Um, so yeah, that really clarifies things. And I think, you know, it's much easier to start with just being mindful, um, in our occupations rather than, you know, setting aside, you know, for me, for example, I'd find it a lot harder to carve out that time in my day to sit. And I find it hard to sit as well, <laughs> to sit and, and practice mindfulness meditation as opposed to um, being mindful in the present moment and paying attention and noticing whatever it is that I'm doing and being fully present in that. Um, do you find that with clients that you work with, that that's sort of like the stepping stone that you start with mindfulness and then, and then work up to mindfulness meditation? You can go either way. It's very personal. So um, in a way, mindfulness meditation is an opportunity for us to kind of uh, work, uh, strengthen our mindfulness muscles, so to speak. So some people, that's really needs to be the first step. And so for me, I don't practice mindfulness meditation because the 20 minutes I do it is so, you know, phenomenal, but it helps me throughout the rest of the day be more mindful of 
in my other occupations. So it can go that way where it's really helpful for people to have more formal and it doesn't need to be 20 minutes I, mean, I do two minute meditations with people so it can be really helpful for some people to have that more formal practice to get them started and then so you know if we do a more formal uh, eating meditation where I'll, I'll lead someone through that and then they might be able to when they're eating later that day just take a mindful bite recently because we've already done that formal meditation mm. whereas other people the idea of sitting in meditation just gives them the heebie-jeebies and stresses them out right away so then the idea might be well can you um can we can you pick one thing in your day that you can bring mindful attention to for this week so maybe every time you wash your hands or every time you brush your teeth or brush your hair something short and then a person could work up to when they go for their daily run they're really just going to focus on the daily run they're not going to be going through the plans for the whole day but they're going to really focus in on just the experience of the run and the, the sensory experience of that. So it's very personal and that's why, you know, as, as OTs, I think this is where we come into helping people figure out how best to approach and, and, um, and scale that or make stepping stones that are appropriate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so say for example, for the runner, you know, someone wants to focus in and be mindful on their run. What will they be noticing? What, what are they being aware of in that moment? And how do we try and block out those thoughts that are coming to the forefront? Yeah. So if somebody really wanted to bring, and I say, I mean, I came up with the example of running, but if somebody, it's going to be a whole lot easier if they're going a bit more slowly to start. So, so one thing would be if somebody really wanted to do that, I mean, not having um, their phone with them, not having earbuds in, right? Obviously, the, the, being more aware of what's going on. And then I would suggest probably to start outside, maybe really taking a look around, getting getting familiar with what the, what the sky looks like today, what the weather's like, taking a, a few deep breaths on the front lawn, then starting to walk, you know, taking some steps and just really noticing the feel of the feet you know, each time your foot hits the ground and really noticing that. And then if that becomes something you can attend to, then speeding up, but keeping that focus on the feet each time they hit the ground and that that's the intention then the attention's going to wander and um it's like uh, a spoke of a wheel so you've got the, the middle of the bicycle wheel and then you got all the spokes going out right so the intention is that middle part and you're focusing on the feeling of your feet hitting the ground each time but then our attention goes off on all these different directions and then the key is when we notice we're off on one of these spokes is to bring it back before we hit the whole tire and just spend the rest of our run going around on the tire instead of in the center. Mm. So and it's the practice is coming back. That's the practice. Our minds are going to wander. Yes. Yes. I know. Cause life is busy and there's so many things on our to-do list. <laughs> and, and even if there are a lot of clients I work with have nothing, truly nothing on their to-do list and nothing in their day. And it's their minds still wander. Right. Mm. And so what do you say, like, what, what can they do, like, in that moment when, when that, those thoughts come up? And it could be any thoughts. It could be, you know, thoughts about themselves and, you know, negative self-talk. I'm not good enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not fast enough. Um, or it could be, you know, future planning, all the things I've got to do and I shouldn't be doing this because I should be somewhere else. Um, what exactly do we do in that, in that? time 
Yeah. Because it's, e- it's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, block it out, try and bring your attention back to that. But even that in itself is, is challenge for the mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I should say that, I mean, I, um, first of all, is that as soon as you notice that your mind isn't where you want it to be, you've noticed your mind isn't where you want it to be. So right away, praise yourself for noticing. Boom. First step. Because otherwise, we just kind of keep knocking ourselves down. And I wouldn't actually, you know, recommend someone try to stay focused on a whole run. Um, as a, I mean, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would bring my mindful attention to the start, you know, to the stretches at the beginning and the stretches at the end and the walk. And then, you know, but so I think paring it down too. So that's part of the grading of it is it's probably not realistic for us to stay fully attentive for something like 20 minutes, but can it be for two minutes of it? Mm-hmm. So being realistic with how long we can actually stay focused on whatever we're trying to stay focused on. And um, yeah, I started with the, I suggest people pick something in their day that's like washing their hands, brushing their teeth, right? So then our minds wander or we forget we were even supposed to pay attention when we washed our hands, but then we've noticed that's it. As soon as you've noticed, you're off whatever train of thought you were on. Because mm-hmm. there's, two things that keep us from being mindful most of the time. And I struggle to think of other things really, but I'll tell you what they are. One of them is, um, is going off on trains in different directions. So that's thoughts, that's pain, that's background noise, that's an itch, whatever it is, it's something bringing us away. And the other is we're on autopilot. And we don't even notice that we did a whole series of things in our morning, for instance. So between those trains that take us off in different directions and the autopilot, that's a lot to deal with. But being gentle with ourselves that all humans are dealing with those. And as soon as we notice we're on the train or we're on autopilot, we have that choice to, to step off and come back to whatever we're intending to focus on. Mm, yeah, I love that. And let's have a look then about the with the occupational therapist who is working with their client and wants to weave more mindfulness practices into this client's life. And obviously the client, this is what they're wanting as well. What's the best way to start this conversation? What kind of conversations do you have and where do you start with that? Yeah. So, um, so say the client, if the client is interested in this, I would start with, the beginnings of my appointments, I tend to use a, a, a short grounding exercise. I don't call it a meditation. I don't call it mindfulness. I generally use the term, we can do a grounding exercise just to get us both centered, just well, you know, so we can get started and both, both be present with this. And I do see it as something that helps me be present and grounded as well as my clients. Um, so right away then I'm, I'm practicing it as well. I'm modeling that and they're participating. And so what does a grounding exercise look like? Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you want me to describe them? Do you want me yeah. to leave one? What would you yes. like? Yeah, maybe describe one. So describe one. Yeah, one. okay. So uh, one of them is I called 54321. So I ask people to just say to themselves, I say, you know, give your voice a break. And I talk them through the whole thing. So I'm not giving all the instructions and leaving them to it. But just to quietly notice five things they can see five things they can hear and five things they can physically feel. And then we go to four and then we go to three and then we go to two and then we go to one. So by the time we get to one, it's kind of brought our focus from everything down to one. (laughs) And so it helps, um, it helps 
activate people's parasympathetic nervous systems and it just helps people filter out all the things that are going on in our minds when we start and then come down mm. and uh so that's kind of the first step of how i start introducing people to this and i also don't start with the expectation that they're going to do any of this between appointments so i feel like until there's a fair bit of buy-in um when i'm working with one-on-one -on -one clients we just pepper it into the appointments I'm doing. So that would be a grounding exercise. I'm often, um, a lot of my clients really struggle to keep up with things that need to happen in their day. So they might have several days worth of conditions when I get there. And so then we might try to make that um, an activity that they can bring some mindfulness to of, okay, we're gonna just go at it, really notice the feeling of the water, the soap, um, I had a client, not a client, I had a student in the course that I teach for other OTs tell me she started doing it with ADL assessments at the hospital so that she'd be, you know, in the shower with clients and getting them to um, smell their shampoo and really feel the water and really, you know, notice, notice each step of the kind of ADL assessment that she was doing. So really bringing as really, as we're doing things with clients, seeing if we can experiment with making those our mindful daily activity. And then uh, when clients are more interested in, I will do a longer, what I, a longer mindfulness meditation, sort of 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes. And then I, I um, offer to give them the recording of it and if they would and see if they want to plan to try it during the week between appointments. And I do then, you know, get them to commit one way or the other. Oh, well, maybe I will. So, okay, what do you, what's your plan here? Are you actually going to, you know, do you want to do it or do you want to hold off until we meet again next week? And then I might give them depending on the person, a tracking sheet, if that's something that appeals to them. Mm. And can you make the link between mindfulness and OT in terms of occupation and the work that we do, why this is so important and how it can really benefit the work that we do? Absolutely. So yeah, I said before, I think because mindfulness meditation not only is an occupation, but it's that lens. And I think a lot of the time, uh, no matter what age of person we're working with, People are, have a lot of their plates often or are occupationally deprived and have hardly anything on their plates. And being able, either way, kind of makes it hard for us to, you know, to plan our day and have a lot to, to sort of anchors in our day. That's the word. <laughs> so to hold on to different anchors in our day. So I find that mindfulness can be a really good way to help us to um, be more present at different moments in our day. And when we're more present, then that makes occupation more meaningful and more productive. Also, it's a way for all ages of people um, beyond babies, but certainly with because of co-regulation, we can include parents of babies in this to, to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And I think that that helps in all the various occupations we have in our lives tend to activate that stress response, that sympathetic nervous system throughout the day. And having some occupation or ways of interacting in our day that helps us activate that parasympathetic nervous system and start to calm ourselves down. Mm. And it makes us more aware of all our different senses. So really that whole sensory approach and sensory awareness when a lot of times the adults I work with are very you know, sort of unaware of what's going on beyond what's going on in their minds. Right? Mm. And I can see how if we bring our mindfulness 
to the occupation that we have right in front of us to these micro moments throughout the day. Like you said, even if it's just washing your hands or while you do the dishes or at the start of a walk, then this starts to have this compound effect. So it might start with the, the micro moments and maybe it's just one during the day and then maybe it's two and then maybe it's three. Those micro moments of being mindful has this much bigger compound effect if we're being consistent with it or if our clients are being consistent with it, which will have this bigger, grander effect and impact on how we show up and our lives, like our day-to-day lives and what it is that we do and do it with meaning and intention and awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly there's good evidence for, uh, for instance, uh, pain, for sleep, for um, ADHD, there's a whole, concussions. There's a whole lot of evidence out there that it does help us when we're consistent to, to, to be able to function with these various um, conditions that many of our clients might be dealing with. Mm. Well, let's dive into that. What client populations can we be using mindfulness with? I seem to think, obviously, it can be nearly any client population because every human being will benefit from this. Are there mm. specific populations, though, that that sort of come to the top of mind that may benefit more immediately from this kind of practice? Yeah, it does feel like really any age. And when I've um, taught the course for other occupational therapists, I've had people working with all ages of clients and all types of populations of clients. Um, As I say, if it's babies, then it's really the parents you're targeting. Um, Toddlers are naturally mindful, so it becomes more the parents that need to practice their mindfulness so we don't kind of, um, you know, lose our cool when the kid is mindfully doing something we want them to be doing something else. But beyond that, then, um, certainly the population I work with, which um, people with pain and people with mental, mental health um, challenges and sleep issues, there that is there's a lot of evidence and I've seen a lot of good results with that population. But that's not the only one. I struggle to think of a population that we would work with as OTs that wouldn't benefit from this. And certainly we as OTs, being people who are with people struggling a lot of the day can benefit from it. And I think Mm. that's the first spot to start. Can you shine a light on the the pain population? So people who are experiencing pain, how can mindfulness benefit their life? Mm -hmm. So because pain is a, is a stressful situation, right? It's, it's activating our, our sympathetic nervous system. And so having an activity that can help us decrease that stress response and elicit the relaxation response can, you know, when we've decreased that alarm system, then the pain alarm system isn't, um, isn't able to trigger us quite as much. Now, that being said, I, I teach an eight-week course for people with mindfulness, uh, people, with, people with pain, and um, we start with the body scan meditation, which is a meditation where I ask people to bring awareness to their feet and then their legs and their knees, and we move so forth all the way through the body. Well, people have a lot of pain. So this is not going to be relaxing when they start because what we're asking people to do in that situation is to pay attention to what is and what is, is pain. So over time, what I'm getting them to do then is to, there's grading involved in that. So I had a woman when I I was teaching it this week who said, when do the body scan, she basically checks out from mid-thigh until shoulders. She's just not doesn't remember it, doesn't hear it, not paying attention at all. 
And so came to light that that's, I mean, she has severe pain in, in her torso. So she was just not able to, to do that. So the way I suggested we go about that is when we get to that part is she can touch in on it and then go back to, for her, her feet have no pain. So go then go back to her feet. And then when she hears the next body part, just touch on it. You don't need to stay there and then go back to your feet. So by doing that, hopefully over time, she can increase her awareness of what's going on between her thighs and her shoulders, which right now she has very little sensory awareness of. Um, we don't want to throw her in there where it's so painful, but a little touch and then leave it um, is a way to increase that. Mm. So over time then, she's increasing her sensory awareness, which can help her with respecting her limits because now she is actually checking in and has a sense of what her limits are. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting because I wasn't sure whether the mindfulness practice would relate to the pain and focusing in and bringing awareness to the area of pain or whether it was simply bringing mindfulness practice to um, whatever it is that they are doing or both or a combination of both. So that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Okay, in terms of practical tools, so if OTs are wanting to use practical tools in their practice, if they haven't done like a meditation or a mindfulness course before, or um, and they're just wanting to learn more for their own life and want something handy that they can have, is there any or any sort of tools or practices that they can be doing um, to support that? Absolutely, there are a ton of resources out there. Um, I've, um, so I put together a, a, a couple that I can direct people to and, and give you the links to for, so I've made a pamphlet on doing the body scan meditation, the meditation I just described. So that is available on my website. So people can, under free resources, people can download that and that gives a step-by-step -step instruction. It's a handout that you can print off and give to your clients. And it's got a link to an audio version of the body scan, if that's something people want to start with. Um, I've also is got... Is this something they could use in their practice or is this just for personal use? They can use it in their practice. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got my name on stuff, but that's fine. They can use it and they can give it out. They can give it out to their clients for sure. Yeah, I'd ask people not to you know, put it on their websites or their no, no, no. Facebook yeah, no, groups, I just meant like use it in, their, Absolutely. in their sessions. Yeah. They can definitely use it in their sessions. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it's for to make things a little easier for, for OT. So it's something that it's, uh, that's just introducing that practice, the, um, the body skin practice. Mm -hmm. awesome. So that's a good start, but to start with, they can get a copy of that and practice it themselves. Um, certainly use that with their clients. I've got, I've got a Facebook group for OTs where I put a lot of the grounding exercises. So I do those as Facebook lives and people can come and go through, go through previous Facebook lives and learn a whole bunch of these grounding exercises I start my appointments with. So that's a good way to kind of uh, get introduced to some bite-sized practices. And it's mindfulness for OTs? It's mind, mindful OTs. Mindful OTs. Yeah, mindful OTs. Great. Yeah. Yeah, and I can give you the link um, to put in the Fantastic. notes of those as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those would be two spots to start for sure. And, uh, and then, you know, there's lots more to take it deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure if anyone just jumps on their phone and searches anything mindfulness or meditation related, there will be, like you said, like 
too many probably to choose from. Um, I know there is absolutely. Um, yeah, for meditation, there's the one giant mind. I don't know if you've tried that one before, but there, no, are, there are so no. many out there. Yeah, the smiling minds. That's an Australian oh, yes. one. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, mm-hmm. and it's got good ones for kids as well. I mean, I've got tons of books that have different, you know, meditation audio guides. Uh, so a good one for with kids, I find, is um, sitting still like a frog. And there's one for parents, and that's meditations for kids and their parents. So if people are parents themselves, even if they don't work in pediatrics, that's one that they can use, you know, at home. So they can start trying out the meditations without having to figure out what to do with their kids while they're trying out the meditations. Yeah. Um, and Breathe Through This is the sequel. That's the one I'm reading right now. That's for parents of teenagers. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Are there any other books that you recommend? Like what um, are the books book that have changed? By- yeah. Yeah, any book by Tara Brock, I would recommend. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, she's got and and John Kabat-Zinn. Yeah, awesome. I mentioned there at the beginning. Yeah, cool. Those would be good ones. Awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on in terms of mindfulness? No, I think just the the idea that it's often the most helpful for us as healthcare providers and as primarily as OTs. To, to build a practice ourselves before we turn and bring this to our clients. We can certainly recommend, you know, our clients look into this, but I think there's huge benefits to ourselves. And, um, you know, as a profession, there's a pretty high attrition rate to helping professions. So learning ways to help ourselves stay, stay um, present and avoid, avoid burnout ourselves is, is a key one. So I think that benefit there and then going to how can it benefit your own client population is probably the next, the next thing. Absolutely. And I think when we understand it from the lived experience, we are able to share more deeply. Like we are able to, and and also able to connect and understand the challenges and the barriers that they might come up against when they're implementing these sorts of practices, because it's probably, you know, possible that we've encountered the same thing as well. So I think it just also gives that piece of empathy and we can listen from that lived experience lens. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting because I, I teach other OTs, right? So then they, I've had, you know, I recommend a meditation to them and people come back and say, oh, that was a lot. That was a 20 minute meditation you recommended doing every day this week. I, I can't believe I've been asking my clients to that for years. It's really hard to get that into your day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that, you know, that an OT would, would laugh about this and say, yeah, I've been recommending this kind of thing for ages. And I hadn't actually tried finding 20 minutes in my day to do this yes. until last week. Yes. And then, you know, she realized that it's a challenge. And yeah. uh, she's not like, it's not as if this happened to one OT. This is, this is true for a lot of us, but yes. mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Bringing mindfulness. Yeah. To the homework that we're giving out. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Okay. Let's have yeah. three rapid fire questions, Sarah. Absolutely. So the first one is in one sentence, how do you describe OT? So I think OT is a profession where we're helping people engage in whatever it is they need to do or want to do in the day and helping them live their fullest life. Love it. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Prioritize sleep. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes. I need more of it. (laughs) Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? 
they put on your own oxygen masks first. Yes, yes. So come to Sarah and she's going to teach you all about mindfulness and meditation mindfulness <laughs> and, <laughs> and putting on our own oxygen mask first. That's so true. And I think we so often forget that. And, and particularly because we are these, usually OTs are very um, helping. Like we're always wanting to help and do good and we're the empaths and um, it, it can be very draining on us. Mm -hmm. So if we haven't filled our cup, if we aren't, if we aren't filled with the light and joy and positivity and in this really good, healthy space physically and mentally and spiritually, then it is really hard to show up for our clients and serve the people that we want to serve. So for everyone who wants to find out where you are, like on, on Facebook or your website, can you just let us know how everyone can contact you? Absolutely. So my, um, my website is saragoodot.ca. So that, um, yeah, the CA part might trip people up, but <laughs> and it's Sarah with um, an H and good, just as it sounds. So saragoodot.ca. Um, and uh, on there, you'll see my email address and phone number and so forth. Um, and on there as well, you can, uh, you can get some, some free resources uh, and see my blog as well. Um, and also yeah, information on, on courses and programs that I offer for OTs. And if you want to connect on, um, on Facebook, then, I mean, I've, I've got a Facebook group, so it's Mindful OTs. And so I'll give, uh, I'll give you the link to put down for that one. And I'm happy to connect with people from my Facebook. I've got a Facebook page for Sarah Good Occupational Therapy as well. So people can find me that way. And you also have an Instagram. I do have an Instagram, yes. Sarah Good OT. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're all over it. We'll find you somewhere. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate that. And for me personally, I feel like I feel like I need to do probably step into that mindfulness meditation because I just I haven't created that space for me to do that and I am one of those people that's go 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 and I will always try to be intentional with my awareness and with what I'm doing, but not carving out that space and that time for me. So I think all, everything that you shared was really valuable for me personally, but also how I can use it within my practice, um, specifically with kids that I work with. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it and I'm so impressed with this whole movement that you've built and yeah, quite a short period of time. So thank you very much for including me on it. Thanks, Sarah. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope it inspires you to take action. If you hang out over on Instagram, come over and say hi. Let's connect. I'm at Leanne Chris. And we'd absolutely love your radiant energy in our Facebook group family. You can find us simply by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, open-minded OTs from around the world. And if you are sharing it on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Rhiannon Chris 
so I can share it on my platforms as well. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. So that's it, guys. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world, one occupation at a time. Carpe diem, guys.